When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Tackle Empire, all the conference championships are decided and the Rose Bowl has been played. So according to official Off Tackle Empire doctrine, all relevant college football has been completed and we will now proceed to off-season coverage. And no, we will not be taking any questions at this time. This week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire as we're here at the end of bowl season with really just one more meaningful game to be played, which is, of course, on Saturday between the Montana State Bobcats and the Let's North Dakota State Bison. Bobcats! Bison. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give enough heat on the, the, zzz, the bison. I didn't get enough sizzle on that. Right, because, um, you know, as far as the FCS level is concerned, they basically are the M. Bison of college football. In that psycho crusher, an unstoppable villain that when they are finally defeated is such an overwhelming feeling of relief. Yeah. So. Uh, but really, um, I well, so of course, I'm going to handle the introductions here. I am Andrew Krzyzewski, and you are Thumpasaurus, aka Steve Braun. And this is Off Tackle Empire. And as we look now into the long abyss of the offseason, I sincerely cannot imagine why anyone outside the SEC footprint, and really even like 70% of the people inside of it, would have any interest in next week's game. The only reason I have any interest in any part of this game is that George is currently a two and a half point favorite, and I just don't know why. It just doesn't make any goddamn sense to me because even if you thought these teams were evenly matched and Georgia is a little bit better, how the fuck are you going to get people to bet on Georgia as a favorite against Alabama, who has just has has just pimp slapped them in every meaningful game that they've ever played they you know, in the last ten years? Weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. So what well, you think that you think that Georgia is that. three touchdowns better than they were, or that Alabama is three touchdowns worse? Or that I, look, all I can figure is so two things. First of all, that somehow the books have calculated that's how they extract even money from the betting populace, which again, I just don't understand because I don't know who takes Georgia to cover a two and a half point line against Alabama. I don't know who bets that that isn't wearing a black and red polo shirt, you know? So uh, I'm going to pour a win fight try Brewster of the week that comes to us from Brew Detroit, one that you're very familiar with. It is the Smoke Delay Session IPA, Let's named, go. of course, after the signature phenomenon of Detroit City FC's Keyworth Stadium and one that I'm eager to see how the uh, USL champion, Championship League handles. I Supposedly certainly hope that they'll be forced to handle it. Supposedly, they're going to make some allowance for it. Um, but yes, a very auspicious day for Smoke Delay in that we did receive uh, the date of the home opener, that's going to be March 19th. Looking forward to it immensely. You and I will 
hopefully be there depending on how the tournament gets scheduled because you know they do manage to line things up with other sporting events don't they um, well, hopefully we don't get fucking eliminated by saturday by saturday night well that would be the hope but i look i it's funny as we talk about this that maryland and illinois are actually just teeing up, or tipping off here on iota soon jersey retirement night that was quick i did not realize that they were I, I don't remember hearing about that like before yesterday i think oh no i was i was aware of it um well i'm sure you were but the, so like it, it feels like i've i've actually i've been more at home this week i actually had some time in the house and to be able to watch some big time basketball and they've they haven't talked about it like not on any of these broadcasts well you know i mean they didn't all they did last year was beat Michigan. That's the only thing that Illinois accomplished last year, at least so Michigan fans keep telling me. So, you know, it's not like he was a big deal or anything, just the first uh, consensus All-American in in our history. Or for consensus first team All-American. Wow. You, got, you just banked in a three within the first minute. Of yep. You're gonna yeah, I have it up on my on my monitor here. But, uh, yeah, so 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 that's going on. And, of course, you know, there's there's specific criteria, but – it's amazing that like we've already got at least one number eleven up there, and holy shit, have you seen Alfonso Plummer this year also wearing eleven? Yeah, well, I mean, for a guy who if if a guy is going to be just a shooter, you want him to just shoot real good, and that's been what Illinois yep. got from Plummer. But when he does he, things that aren't shoot, they're not great. But yeah, this is so not great. the this is not the blocking charge cast. That is, of course, with a whole totally different cast of characters. Yes, that's where that's more I host and you commentate. Like it, you know, we similar role, just imperceptible little change. It's it's like the it's like it's it's like the difference between margarine and and certain types of lower fat butter. Like, is there really a difference? No, or you know, it's like the difference between I can't believe it's not butter and butter. It's not. No, 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 so, no. On the on this one, you're Tom Servo and I'm Crow. Whereas on the other one, you're more Mike Nelson, and I'm also Crow. <laughs> Very fair. Yes. Uh, but so to to complete this realm about, the, I mean, again, I don't know what there is to say about the matchup on paper between Georgia and Alabama, other than again, we saw it a month ago. Alabama won by a mile because they have a gigantic advantage at quarterback, which is the only spot where Georgia hasn't recruited well enough to beat Alabama. And even with them losing a probable first-round receiver in Robert Mechie, Bryce Young still is the best player on the field when Alabama has the ball, I think. Even with you consider guys like Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean, I still would take Bryce Young over any of those guys because that's the difference-making position. And between Jamison Williams, Slade Bold, and Brian Robinson, Alabama's got plenty of weapons even without Mechie. So I don't think that's a 20-point difference. And yeah, that line is absolutely mystifying. But to, I mean, to kind of complete the circle on this, I don't understand why anybody up here in Big Ten country watches that game. Like, what interest I didn't you have? watch yeah, the okay. last Con- one. Confirmed. None of our teams can stand up to either of those programs right now. It's kind of a waste of time to even think about it. Like, if <laughs> I, I just don't get I, I'm not interested at all because it's going to come. It's played on Monday night. And true, there's no Monday night football. So if you're missing the NFL game, you could just do that. But there's plenty of bad games at the end of an NFL caliber that are going to be played this weekend. If you Illinois shot a three and ran back on defense and it just bounced and nobody from Maryland grabbed it. So Plummer just picked it up at the three point line and shot again. 
Yeah, I, that's, that's there, crazy. You know, I caught a little bit of the Maryland Iowa game the other day, and they're showing some signs of life. But I honestly like it, it's. I was always kind of hesitant to buy in all the way to some of the complaints that our buddy DJ Carver had about the Turgeon era at Maryland. But man, it like now the rot is visible from the outside. And boy, yeah, I, they've got some individually talented pieces. This is not a good team. And it's look, it's a good job. I have to imagine they're going to have their pick of coaching candidates, to pay, I mean, unless a Kentucky or a Kansas opens. They're going to be the best job in the market this offseason. Uh, but yeah, so why, for example, does a Texas fan watch the national title game? Are you just trying to piss your pants harder about what life in the SEC is going to be like? I, I, I can't believe that fans of any other SEC programs actually mean it when they chant SEC. And like you, you don't you say that, that, but Arkansas fans did that with two minutes to go upon taking an insurmountable lead against Penn State in their bowl game. They chose to chant SEC instead of their rather fantastic chant that they have, cheer that they have for their team. They chose to cheer for, basically, they chose to cheer for their rivals instead of their own team. That would never, ever happen in the Big Ten. I just, I think it may, is is it something with like the honor culture or something? Like that has to be what it is. And if they wonder why, for example, our logo continues to be the grim visage of the destroyer of Georgia. I, that no we're not i mean y'all are doing the same thing like that's arkansas fans in a stadium in tampa choosing to cheer sec presumably with the intention of oh we have avenged the honor of our fallen brothers from auburn i just don't understand that mindset i don't it anyway the south isn't gonna rise again if you don't let shit go man but anyway that again I spent half of the season openly declaring I did not want Michigan State to go undefeated. And they made it to 8-0, and and I still declared I do not want to make the playoff because I do not want my team on the field with either Georgia or Alabama. And I was right to say that. I'm absolutely correct to say that because we, we would not have done any better than Michigan did. Probably would have done substantially worse. Um, it would have had it most likely would have meant having to play Georgia instead of getting a bowl matchup that we could win. And I was just completely right. I could not have been more right about that. See, so, I, on the other hand, would have loved for Illinois to make the playoff this year because I think I could gain a substantial internet fame in the Illini community by doing a live stream in which I just laughed myself to the point of just like pissing everywhere. <laughs> I, you know, everybody's because, got what else could I possibly do? In a, in a game where we're somehow in the playoff with the team that we have, but laugh every time something happens. Yeah, I, I can get that. It, you know, in a in a Pagliacci kind of way, sure. <laughs> uh, so that's. I mean, again, I, I don't know if there's anything else to say from our perspective about that game. So that's that's it. it if that's if that game is your bag, go ahead and watch. I don't think it really matters who wins. Those are the two gold standard programs in college football right now. Alabama and North Dakota State? Yeah, sure. That's what I mean. Um, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, to an extent, yes. Which which game do you think will be closer? Hmm. Um, probably Bama-Georgia. Because yeah. There's no, I mean, if anything, like, again, there is an argument to be made on paper that Georgia actually does have more talent overall than Alabama. 
I just think there's a big weak spot and it's at the most important position. And I'm not saying Stetson bad's bad. I mean, he tore Michigan a couple new assholes, which I just loved. But um, I think that uh, I think that the Bison have already faced the, stif- the stiffest test that they faced in the playoff with uh, James Madison, which I think is much closer probably. to their level. Probably so. And so I, I don't see any need to tune into either of those games. It Again, to me, it's firmly hoop season. But that's because I am unaffiliated in the NFL. And speaking of, we mentioned this earlier. Yeah, there's plenty to watch, yeah, especially one, on Monday. One brief sojourn into NFL land here, which we don't normally get in too deep, except to kind of, you know, laugh in passing at the Lions or something, or the Bears also, we give them a few jabs. Or um, Urban Meyer. Yeah, it's just kind of occasional, but there is a situation developing that I think is of potential interest to folks like us, which is that this weekend, um, if the Jaguars beat the Colts in the one o'clock time slot on Sunday, that means that the winner of the night game between the Chargers and the Raiders goes to the playoffs. And if that game is a tie, both of them go. And so a few media folks have picked up on this and have kind of, you know, jokingly put out there, oh, <laughs> well, you know, if, if you're one of those teams and the Jags do beat the Colts, do you, you know, work out a secret agreement? To, oh, let's just kind of lie down and get through this game or, or <laughs> you, you know, and see if we can arrange a tie so that both of us can go. Everybody gets their contract bonuses for making it to the playoffs and so on and so forth. And of course, NFL media people all immediately dismiss this as a possibility as disrespectful of the league and the shield and the integrity of the game, forgetting of course that the Philadelphia Eagles directly and obviously threw a game a couple years ago to improve their draft. They just, they just, they just took out all of their offensive starters at halftime. And of course the Giants, it it affected whether or not the Giants got in the playoffs. So (laughs) they were just tweeting through it. Yeah. Uh, And you know, obviously it, it didn't make any difference to the Eagles. They were already eliminated. Um, or were they already in the playoffs? I don't remember. No, the uh, Eagles were eliminated. Yeah, and and so was Washington, the team they were playing, but the Giants were not eliminated. They because I believe it was between Washington and New York to determine who won the division. Yeah, uh, and so anyway, so acting like this kind of stuff never has never happened, could never happen in the NFL is completely disregarding actual history. Uh, but also, it, it's laziness on the part of the folks talking about this scenario because they're not finishing the drill which is we need to mine this potential source of content and determine what all the best parts of it would be. Okay, the first obvious thing is this is the night game on NBC, which means that the broadcast crew is going to be Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth. And so as this had just picture, they do, you know, they do, I mean, they start their pregame of that an hour before. They talk about this game, oh, just could you, what could you wish for? Anything else, division rivals, playoff berth on the line fantastic you know best game could be the most impactful game of the regular season in terms of single game consequences here in the last game of the regular season and then they kick they they do the kickoff and you know it's oh it's touchback okay no big deal and then Derek Carr leads the Raiders out there on offense and they kneel the ball three times and they punt and then the Chargers do the exact same thing and back and forth we go for 60 minutes of clock time. 
and 15 minutes of overtime. That's all that happens. And if Tariqo that happens, have to explain what is happening to the listening audience. If that happened, I have to wonder at what point, because it would still take, you know, three hours. At yeah. what point the, the front, the league office would intervene. <laughs> well, I have to imagine that I'm like the second possession. They wouldn't, they would not. It, it is, it is difficult for me to imagine that that could go. But what, the scenario you're describing actually reminds me of um, one that I think a lot of mainstream sports fans don't know about the 2005 United States Grand Prix where Formula One had kind of been languishing in the U.S. They like Watkins Glen had, had used to be the place that they, they'd had like some failed ones. And finally, they were going to make their glorious return in 2005 at Indy, right, where they do, do like a road course. But there were several tire providers at the time, and they, they, they all came with disputes for testing because you have to have a tire that's not going to last the whole race so that people have to change tires so it's exciting, but also that's not going to just fall apart after 10 laps. So the various tire manufacturers had like several different compounds and, and, and in testing um, one of the major, I don't remember which one it was, but one of the major uh, manufacturers, I, I think Goodyear um, <clears throat> decided like, okay, well we can't let our teams race on these tires and the teams didn't want to race on those tires because of the risk of, of catastrophic failure. Yeah. So 25 cars come out of the field and they all run the formation lap. And on the first lap, 19 of them head into the pits. But you know who has no idea that this is going to happen? The like 300,000 people in attendance. <laughs> so I've seen video of this where it's like, uh, yes, we're getting it's Formula One in the United States at Indy, at Indy, no less. <laughs> and the cars come around and then the whole field heads into the pits. And it's Michael Schumacher and like, a bunch of like back markers. So he's just out there turning laps basically. And after a few, like people are just kind of, what the hell is going on? Or a few laps. And after three <laughs> laps, they start booing. <laughs> so that's what that reminds me of. It's just like, like, how can you explain what's happening here? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And it, like I said, and obviously the booing from the crowd would be intense. No doubt about that. But then, like you said, like, Obviously, the first obligation of the broadcast and the producers is to make sure that the commercials happen as scheduled, right? So <laughs> yeah. you have to find a way to stretch that. Like it's like, all right, we'll 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 let them get through. Like each team will take a possession of their three kneels and a punt, and then we'll cut to a commercial, and then we'll come back, and that'll happen again, and we'll cut to another commercial and then defensive defensive struggle here in uh wherever the hell they're playing is (laughs) the game remains tied it's scoreless we'll throw it back to the studio and now tony dungy has to weigh in on this (laughs) what do you think the las vegas raiders are gonna have to do to take control of this game (laughs) (laughs) and he's just he's just sitting there like trying not to burst a blood vessel (laughs) just and then and then of course what I think would be the most likely thing that says, all right, so you go through the entire game like that. Say if the league can't figure out what to do, it's like there, there, there's, it's it's just it's utter panic. Like the phones are ringing off the hook at NFL headquarters, and nobody is touching the phone, uh, and and so that somehow goes without being interrupted. You make it close to the end of overtime, and it's put the ball's punted away. Such that, okay, with three more kneel outs, this will end the game in a tie. It was like two minutes left in overtime now. 
you're going to tell me there's no chance that at that point that team wouldn't be like, <laughs> time to spring our trap. And then they try to win the game. <laughs> and then suddenly, again, to re- again, still broadcast, still people watching this game, still talking about it. Now the broadcast has to explain that. Oh, now suddenly the Chargers are trying to score. They're, they're, they're lining up their offense. The Raiders look stunned. Their coaches, if you're in that position, do you call a timeout if you're the interim coach of the Raiders to try to get your defense to actually play now that the offense is trying to score? And they're just, it like, so now if you're the broadcast, are you relieved that one team is trying to win the game? Or are you are you astounded by the further dishonor in betraying what was obviously a gentleman's agreement with the other team not to play? Like the possibilities here are just fantastic, and obviously it's not going to happen. No, this thing no. Brought, the first this reason thing brought up in like three different places that oh, you know, if that if the Jags win and then Chargers and Raiders tie, then those two teams both go to the playoffs. Oh, ha ha ha! Wouldn't they? You know, possibility that they might agree to lie down so everybody makes it and. Again, like everyone just dismissed it. And I was like, well, you went that far. Why don't we explore this? Like, come on. So the first reason that won't happen is because there's no way that the Colts and rightful MVP Jonathan Taylor lose a must-win game to Jacksonville. Um, however, the if... Colts are actually two and two in their last four games against the Jags. I did. I did, in fact, know that. Because I remember they I remember they lost last year to Jags. And I thought oh, well, either the Jags are going to be better or the Colts are terrible. And neither of those things turned out to be true. Yeah, sometimes this weird stuff happens. But, Lions beat the Cardinals this year, man. But think about this, though. If the Jags do beat the Colts, then I'm going to be watching that Monday night game, Chargers-Raiders, with a Steelers fan. <laughs> and of course, this is assuming that the Steelers can get by the Ravens. The Steelers would need one of the Chargers or the Raiders to win the game. <laughs> uh, what would Leah do? What would you, you know? The do thing about if the Chargers and the Raiders are just just engaged in an obvious attempt to to strategically throw tie the game. Oh my god! You know, the thing is, as a Big Ten football fan, I feel a lot of kinship with Steelers fans because they're obsessed with running the ball. And you know, physical football, and uh, most you know, their specific play. Yeah, yeah, their specific defense. I mean, yeah, because because yeah, they like Ben Roethlisberger because he like they win games, but they don't really like when they're you know they're very uncomfortable with the fact that they've been a very good passing offense. Like you know, or they they were in most of the last decade. That's yeah. They 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 want to get back to running the ball. You got to run the ball between the tackles and play some smash mouth. You got to play some physical. Pittsburgh Stiller football. Um, and so it's funny because they're basically exact same as Iowa fans, which means that Iowa fans stole that too. Yeah. Iowa stole I mean, that too, to, in addition to their uniforms. To finish the drill, of course, if this preposterous scenario we've outlined happens, regardless of how the game ends, both coaches have to go to the podium after that and explain what happened. And uh Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> let's, let's talk about what actually happened in college football. Uh, there were various bowl games of interest since we last convened. Uh, I've got a few that I thought were worth pointing out. Holly. We're not going to go through these in a great depth before we get to the Big Ten games. 
Um, Northern Illinois, Coastal Carolina was, I believe, the first bowl of the season. It was absolutely lit. Oh, no, you're wrong about that because the Bahamas Bowl also featured a 17-point fourth quarter by Middle Tennessee to win it by seven. But, yeah, the, the Cure Bowl I with Coast... I don't think Coast... that makes the game I mentioned any less good, but okay. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But the point is, those first two games were both fantastic openers. Uh, Bailey Zappi continued his rewriting of the single season record book and nobody cares because he doesn't play in a power five team. So 62 touchdowns. Yeah. Incredible. And again, keep in mind, Joe Burrow set all his records with an array of NFL talent around him, including a fantastic running game. I think Clyde Edwards Hiller had like 1700 yards that season. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase have been have been two of the best rookie receivers in NFL history. Yeah. And then, you know, Bailey Zappi has some good receivers. But Jamar Chase crushed me in a fantasy final. They do not even pretend to run the ball. Uh, and so for him to be able to get what he did done against a not, I mean, they play a difficult non-conference too. They played Indiana, Michigan state, but it's not like he had a walkover schedule either. Um, other bowls, the troops walked off against Mizzou. That was fun to see. Um, oh, it, you know, coming back to this SEC theme, yeah, no. If the SEC loses bowl games, they definitely don't care. For example, when Central Florida beat the crap out of a Florida team that was so obviously butthurt about it, committed more personal fouls than I remember seeing in a single bowl game by a single team before. Yeah, no, it, the SEC doesn't care at all about these lesser bowl games that they regularly get their asses kicked in. Never mind the fact that there's actually only two good teams in the SEC in any given season, and the rest of them are mostly bad. Um, yeah, they... <laughs> well, and then also in that game, uh, Emory Jones announced that he was transferring to UCF like the day before the game, and then he went out and went 14 for 36 against them. Was Did he actually decide that that was it? I thought my recollection was that he announced he was transferring and that UCF was one of the possibilities. Oh, I guess I wasn't sure if that is how it played out, but yeah, <laughs> I, you could be right. I know it was either way. I, I, Both I the quarterbacks that, are in the portal, right? Or did Dylan Gabriel play? Um, No, Dylan Gabriel didn't play because I, I, yeah, he, he had a season ender. He had a season ender. Yeah. So they had Central Florida had Mikey Keene, um, and I, I don't think that Jones had decided yet because I remember posing the question to the slack that if you're, if you are, uh, if you're Emory Jones and you're transferring and you're considering transferring to the team you're playing, do you want to play really good and impress them and convince them you need to make me the starter right away? Or do you maybe do your team a solid? And you're like, Oh no, I threw another pass into the stands. Look at that. Guess we got a punt. And like you, you go, you go to UCF. Do they, do they just, do they just prepare an extra, you know, version of whatever it is that they wear for winning the bowl? Whatever <laughs> swag it is. <laughs> throw, yeah, get make sure they've got an extra T-shirt to throw to him. Yeah, as you, as you like, <laughs> again, like I also a, contributed. Throws a pass ten feet over his receiver's head, like like shoots finger guns to the opposing side. <laughs> it's like. Oh, anyway. No, um, I went to Ford Field in Detroit. I was uh, I was in my bed about 35 minutes before kickoff, wondering like, you know what? <laughs> should I should I go to this goddamn thing? I, yeah, I and then a friend of mine texted me and he's like, "Hey, I got extra tickets to this game. You want to come?" And I'm like, "No, I actually have to actually work today." And he's like, 
come on, but do you really? I was like, yeah, I do. I had, I had meetings like all day that day. <laughs> uh, I did not. And, yeah. And so you ended up, yeah. You, like I said, you woke up at what? 10 25 and kickoff was at 11 o'clock and you were down there in time. I had was it the opening d- kickoff that Western ran back or. Oh, or- I, I missed that. Cause I was trying to get in. I, I parked before 11, but then it took me like 20 minutes to get in. So it took me about as much time to get from my house to the stadium as it did for me to get into the stadium. I had on the way down I-75, I had Dio cranked so loud I didn't realize I was bouncing off the limiter in fifth gear. <laughs> and just Ford Field taking Quick lane ball! So, yeah, the problem was that Nevada decided, hey, we've got all these offensive weapons. Um, they kind of all don't want to play because it's not just Carson Strong that was missing. It's also Romeo Dubs and uh, the rest of the receiving core. So I got to see this uh, ostrich basketball player go like five for 18. Yeah. I, I was able to watch a couple minutes of it. Could not see you or our other mutual friend who hooked us, who hooked you up with the tickets. Um, but I did see a remarkably bad, super tall quarterback. That being said, because he is so tall, he will no doubt be a second round pick of the Broncos in a couple years. So other games of interest. Wait, he um, breaks Brock Osweiler's record as the tallest quarterback I've ever seen play a college football game. A very meaningful record. And again, I, I'm only kind of joking there because John Elway, the GM, is going to find that to be a very meaningful record. Okay, uh, Dan McGuire, Mark McGuire's brother, was, was like six foot eight and built like Mark McGuire, right? And didn't put up good college stats. Got taken in the first round, washed out of the league in a year. Yeah, of course he did, because he, he was built like Mark McGuire, which probably means he couldn't throw a football right. And he was six foot eight. So he should have just so been he a can fucking see you tackle. Over all the line. Why'd you let him play quarterback? I don't know, man. Uh, so other bowls of interest. Um, the Mayo Bowl resulted in Shane Beamer getting the first Mayo shower in that game. Since I very much appreciate that most of the bowls that actually sell a product have taken to filling a Gatorade jug with that product and dumping it on the coach. I do also appreciate that the Mayo Bowl took precautions to contain the mayo runoff from like getting into the ground at the state. Like you're not getting mayo out of the, out of field turf, man. It's not happening. So they like put a tarp down under him. Um, There's like five bulls sponsored by insurance companies, right? Yeah. So, I'm so just, what they should do is they should just dump a big stack of paperwork on the, yeah, on the, yeah. on the winning coach and then make him sit there for five hours, filling it all out so that they can deny his claim. <laughs> Yeah, they just fill a bunch of uh, fill a bunch of schedule and appendix forms. Uh, God, imagine the paper cuts you would get though. Um, Central Michigan tagged into the Sun Bowl when their um, tag team partner Miami had to bow out on account of the COVID, and they I think they jumped out to like a twenty-one nothing lead or something like that. Yeah, it looked like it was getting out of hand, but they did. They came away with the win against Washington State, which again. Central Michigan had flown to wherever their wherever the Barstool Bowl is going to be, somewhere in Arizona. Their opponent canceled, and then a little bit after that, Miami canceled. It's like, huh, wait, let me get Google Maps here. Oh, that's only like a six-hour drive. We should do that. And so they just tagged it, and they went, and they won against well, a, again a team with theoretically considerably better talent. And of course, uh, Cincinnati certainly looked like they were going to hang in there a bit but uh against alabama but of course 
you know, while their defense certainly held up admirably, the question was always going to be, how do they get into the end zone? And they never figured it out. Nope. I know that feeling. And I don't, th- the one relief I had in the aftermath of that game was I didn't hear, maybe it's just because I don't listen to these kinds of voices, but I didn't hear anyone claiming, oh, see, there's no reason to ever want a group of five team in the playoff again. Because honestly, they did better than Michigan State did. They did better than Washington did. They did better than a couple of Ohio State's performances in the playoffs against these elite opponents. These semifinal games are always blowouts. It doesn't really matter. Like whoever the top couple teams are that year, doesn't really matter if their opponent is from a group of five, ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten. They're not going to stand up. Like whoever the top couple teams are usually know it. And there's very little doubt regardless of who their opponent is. So. Well, and also, like, I I simply refuse to believe that under any circumstance, I mean, you know, if you put, like, Western Michigan, the P.J. Fleck year that they had in the playoff, yeah. no way did they trail 49-7 to in the second quarter like Oklahoma did against LSU the one year. No, I, I, I just don't, don't think, think a performance like that is – I just don't think anybody's going to beat that for futility. Yeah, so anyway – I didn't see any other bowls or recall any other bowls that were of special interest. So was there anything that caught your eye that we haven't mentioned? Uh, not that, I mean, not that stands out in my mind, obviously. Uh, there were also a lot of cancellations, which was unfortunate. Air Force beat Louisville. So got uh, the troops went 2 0. Yeah, wasn't that also like a last second game or went down the wire. I think that wasn't that close. It was indeed. I I remember it it being odd, Um, but it was also in that time period between Christmas and new year's where time isn't real. So I could be thinking of a game from 10 years ago from that same week. Oh yeah. No, the craziest thing is air force passed for 252 yards. That's yeah. What was so weird about that game is they came out firing. Um, Yeah. All right. Anyway, they, they did what I did. always do and say, look, air in NCAA football and say, hey, Air Force should be an air raid team. Uh, and then, of course, you had Oklahoma uh, play Oregon, get out to a 30 to three lead and then have a moment in the fourth quarter where I was sweating. Sounds about right. Um, <laughs> speaking of Oklahoma, a little bit of a local story here today was that so, of course, a couple of days ago, Caleb Williams officially entered the portal, which I'm surprised he didn't earlier, um, but he did. And now who is making their bid for that transfer? Well, it's one of the local teams. Of course, you know, not Michigan, not Michigan State, you idiots. It's Eastern Michigan getting into the fray, offering a million dollars in NIL money if Caleb Williams comes to Ypsilanti to play near the big stone dick. Oh, man, the question is, does he remember Charlie Batch? How could he? Batch was playing before Williams was born. It's 2022, dude. Yeah, but he was also playing, like, into 2010. Charlie Batch hung around forever. But, like, mostly as a backup, right? Oh, yeah, the other bull that we're missing here is uh, Brock Purdy's no good, very bad, awful day against Clemson. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yeah, where he had what may be the most disaster, might be the most disastrous single action I've seen taken by a player in football this year, and that is a year where I watched a lot of Nebraska. <laughs> he, he he got his pass tipped at the line of scrimmage, 
deep in his own territory. And then he just kind of swatted at it. Yeah. He just kind of swatted at it when it came back to him. And he he hit it directly to a linebacker. Had he done literally anything other than what he did, it would have just been an incomplete pass. Or he could have just caught it and come down with it. There's no reason he couldn't do that. There's nobody around him. But, uh, yeah, that, that basically put the game out of reach. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. But I don't know. Is the Cheezer Bowl ever going to get like a watchable game result, do you think? Or is that just what it is now? I think that's just what it is now. Oh, and uh, also Notre Dame blew a three touchdown lead. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, imagine also being Dabo Swinney starting off the season with the expectations you had and then finding yourself at the end of the year getting a Gatorade tub of cheese that's dumped on you. Um, <laughs> I just hate to see it. Anyway, we'll move on to the Big Ten Bowl results now. Kind of go in roughly chronological order here. The Guaranteed Rate Bowl, formerly known as the Insight Bowl, which I didn't realize because I was I was trying to think. I was like, wait, why do we have this tie-in? Um, yeah, just they changed the name. I don't know. I don't know why they're allowed to change the names. It feels like the game should remain the same. Go ahead and change the sponsor at the front of it if you want. But like, it's too hard to keep track of what these bowls are. And people will care more if they know what game it is. You know? Well, see, um, I thought that it used to be the U.S. Cellular Bowl and then formerly colloquially known as the New Comiskey Bowl. I wasn't. At, at some point it might have been. Uh, no, that's a joke about uh, the White Sox Stadium. I Right. It just took me a minute. Um do they still have the giant down arrow on the stage? They do. I was there not very long ago. And yeah, they do. They have this giant red arrow pointing down. Utterly fantastic. And I hope they on the exterior of the stadium, as you drive past on the goddamn interstate or ride past it on the train, it's just this big like, oh no, my stonks are my stonks are in, in shambles. Yeah, my right, white yeah. socks stonks. Oh, apes no. all gone. Apes all gone. My no, apes no, all gone. No. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, I imagine you would hope that that's a message that Jerry Reinsdorf gets about the team, right? Sell, sell, sell. (laughs) Um, So anyway, the guaranteed rate bowl, Minnesota 18, West Virginia six, good grief. An unwatchable game that kicked off after 10 o'clock Eastern on the Tuesday between Christmas and New Year's. (laughs) And then West Virginia had Luddy Brown opt out and their offense was just non-functional. And yes, credit to the Minnesota defense, which their turnaround has maybe been one of the undersung stories of the conference this year. Uh, Certainly had a lot more to do with them getting to eight and four before this bowl win than their offense did. Um, Minnesota also got about seven yards of carry on 40 total touches from their running backs, Kai Thomas and Bucko Irving. Um, Thomas has since transferred. Understandable because they're going to get Mo Ibrahim back next year. But kind of unfortunate because he had really come on for them and carried the load the last few games. And wherever he goes, they're getting a formidable running back and every down guy. Um, but that they got seven yards per carry on that volume and still only scored 18 points kind of speaks to Minnesota's low ceiling philosophy on offense. 
And if they don't start change, I mean, we heard complaints after the Bowling Green loss from Minnesota fans that they viewed that as kind of inevitable because Fleck just plays these non-conference games so close to the vest, doesn't throw the ball, puts a restrictor plate on their own offense, basically, that they end up losing games that they could have won. And this was closer than it should have been. West Virginia had nothing going on on offense. And even if you want to say afterwards, confidently, oh, doesn't matter, roll the boat, we were never in any danger of losing. Yeah, actually you were, because one fumble of the ball that gets returned for a touchdown, suddenly it's very tight, even though the difference between these teams was dramatic and you should have been up by a lot more. Well, anyway, I laughed in the middle of that because uh, Alfonso Plummer faded away so hard in the lane that his shot came up like two feet short of the rim. I saw that, and I was wondering, <laughs> I was like, did he get fouled? <laughs> no, he just, he like, just faded away very hard. It's just not a three-point shot, so he's very confused. Speaking about of fading away very hard, Virginia Tech put the Yankees logo on the side of their helmet. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the post. Like if they're the Yankees, if the if MLB were to impose a salary cap, Maryland fifty-six, Virginia Tech seven in the pinstripe bowl. Normally, this game goes to the better running team because Yankee Stadium's field service is a skating rink in December. Uh, again, it's a baseball field. They don't have a heating coil under the surface. Why would they? So it's just a dangerous surface every year. But then Virginia Tech's top two quarterbacks both transferred out before the game. And it's just like none of that mattered. Uh, Virginia Tech <laughs> couldn't do anything on offense. Um, definitely some props due to Maryland here for achieving good balance and finally stopping a half-decent rushing attack. But again, very easy to do when your opponent has a third string quarterback. And yes, I'll acknowledge that'll be the case for my own team's game as well. Um, but of course, in the aftermath of this game, Brandon Jennings, who as a true freshman became one of the best players on Maryland's defense, has transferred. He's gone. So just nothing ever goes entirely right for Maryland, right? Yeah, well, one of the other baseball field games was one of the ones I was most excited to watch, even though it was on a stupid goddamn baseball field. It was SMU, Virginia. That got canceled. What a shame. Yeah, that would have been the Fenway Bowl. All um, gas, no breaks. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, moving onward, um, we'll go out of order a little bit here and come with the New Year's Six ones last. So the, the Las Vegas Bowl, Wisconsin, um, Arizona State, uh, Wisconsin 20, Arizona State 13. Again, what a fantastically boring game. Yet another one where they, again, like the Minnesota game, Wisconsin runs the ball on about three quarters of their offensive snaps. Braylon Allen carrying the ball took fully half of Wisconsin's offensive plays, 29 carries on 58 total plays. And once again, a big 10 West team gets a lead and then has to cling to it. And somehow the, a power five opponent can't scratch out any points on offense. Um, Wisconsin's defense got six sacks on 21 passing attempts by Arizona state. That seems pretty good. Leading really, passer, of course, Jaden Daniels, 159 yards. I could not believe. I saw a, a couple little pieces of this game. I could not believe he was so much better in like his second career start against Michigan State three years ago. You couldn't believe the same guy? Now. Yeah, same guy. Um, yeah. And it, it's just, it's, again, lots of credits to the Wisconsin defense, though. And as long as Jim Leonard, doesn't get impatient with his master defenses having to drag along a Paleozoic-ass offense. I imagine their defense is going to continue to stay good. 
I haven't seen, I'm not sure what the situation is with draft declarations um, for Wisconsin on a defense, but again, it, it almost doesn't matter. Like they lose two or three of these stud linebackers every year. Everybody they plug in at that position works out better. Like honestly, their track record at linebacker now is to me almost as good as it is at offensive line. Is that unreasonable to say? No, I don't think it is. Um, one of the odd points of pride that I saw a lot of Wisconsin fans online having was, oh, no, actually, it's good that we didn't score the whole second half because you know what was really important? You don't know what, what was really important was running the clock. And we, yeah, we, ran, the we, ran, the, we ran the clock with great success. So that's, that's really the most important thing that we did. Yeah, again, it, it, we wonder why so many people, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the Big Ten footprint, sympathize with the Steelers. Like, it, it, very easy to understand. Yeah, Braylon Allen, if he'd had breakaway speed, he wouldn't be the power back that he is. <laughs> the thing is, Allen actually does have decent breakaway speed. Like he, no, he, he does. Some, he just, yeah. they just and, and if couldn't Scott get him into space. That, they're going to turn on him so quickly. <laughs> They'll be, oh, we got anybody slower we can give the ball through there. Um, no, I thought we I thought we were running tempo. I thought we were running pace. <laughs> I thought we were gonna slow it down. Ask me to Brandy. Um so we we'll keep moving here. Music City Bowl, probably the game of the year in terms of although actually, you know, this had the exact same score as the Rose Bowl now that I look at it. Purdue 48, Tennessee 45 in overtime. I would twang out a righteous guitar solo if I was more musically inclined because this game rocked. Um, tons of long touchdowns, huge momentum swings. Tennessee won the first quarter 21 to seven. Purdue outscored them in the second quarter 16 nothing. And then back and forth we go. You know, Purdue had a fistful of opt outs from really important guys like David Bell didn't play, George Karloftis didn't play. They had a couple other guys apparently unable to play because of grades, Milton Wright, and uh, well, the corner's name, I don't remember it. Um, yeah, it's, I, I can't remember the guy's name. One of their starting corners was also out, supposedly because of grades. And then they get it. It's just like a next man up thing for them at wide receiver. Brock Thompson had a career game, like seven catches, 200-something yards, a couple touchdowns. Aiden O'Connell throws for another 500-yard game. In the aftermath, they have learned he's going to take the free cover year and will return next season. So even though they had Austin or uh, Jack Plummer and I think Austin Burton also transfer out, they're going to be just fine. Probably going to be the first year in like five that they haven't had a quarterback controversy. A lot of questions next year. Cause again, Bell and Carlathis are just such cornerstone players for them, but O'Connell's a really good place to start in kind of retooling the identity of your team and getting a bull win here. I think kind of caps off this, this steadying season for Jeff Brom as a durable tenure in West Lafayette and, you'd expect that next year they find a way to kind of step into the conversation for the division. And it also kind of washes away the taste of the last time they were in the music city bowl. Cause uh, that did not go well, but winning this kind of game over another sec team, I think, I think kind of changes the pace there because Tennessee was not an easy out at very high tempo offense, run a ton of plays, still plenty of NFL talent. So this is not an easy draw, even this far down in the bowl order. You know, we don't tend to think of Purdue as particularly beleaguered. Uh, you know, 
at least I, I guess I don't um, just, you know, cause you think of the Daryl Hazel area as being like a major aberration, right? They're not usually that bad. It's just that it really has been a long time. It's been since 2007 that they had a season, you know, with this many regular season wins, but this is actually their first uh, nine win season since 2003. Yeah, which is like you would you would kind of assume that somewhere in there there was. But no, honestly, the Danny Hope era was entirely mediocrity. And there was one you know, really kind of sour note after the game happened, which is that uh, Brad Lambert, the defensive coordinator who has totally turned around this defense, hired away by Wake Forest in what for the same position, what you've got to consider to be a complete lateral move. And so the, if I'm Jeff Brom right now, what that to me is, is a signal that I need to go to my athletic director and I just say, look, if you want us to sustain this success and to actually build on this, you got to give me more resources. Purdue's been yeah, we gotta a, compete with a Wake notoriously Forest. stingy administration. You're not going to take a step forward to compete with the likes of Minnesota and Wisconsin, even to say nothing of winning the conference, if you let good assistants get hired away in lateral moves. And, and it's not like he got hired by Clemson or Georgia or something for like a spotlight role before he steps into a P5 coaching job himself. No, this is Wake Forest. And again, this blog, this podcast in particular, ton of respect for what Dave Clawson does there. But let's not pretend that that's a hugely well-resourced program in Winston-Salem to be able to hire away a defensive coordinator for a big time. Well, like I thought Illinois would be able to hire away their head coach may very well have been, didn't try, but that's. You probably could have though. I I don't think there's any doubt in either of our minds that you could have paid enough money at Illinois to steal their head coach. And now they're poaching Purdue's coordinator after kind of a breakthrough season. That's not something you can allow happen. That's the kind of thing that ultimately kills coaching programs. Unless if you're, if you're Purdue fan, you know, got to be just sheer euphoria to, to, you know, to have a season like this with such high highs and a very minimal, uh, somewhat unimportant lows. And then to cap it off with a game that had by my count, at least five 50 yard touchdowns. Yes. It fantastic. This is one of those games where when BTN does their, you know, be their big 10 classics thing, Sometimes it's like, why in the world do you play? Like, for whatever reason, this last year, they started playing the 2012 Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl a lot. It was, it was a terrible Michigan State offense versus a terrible TCU offense. That's like, okay, it was a close game, but a classic? I don't know if anyone would really say, like, why are we watching this? This is the kind of game where if you're channel surfing, you see, oh, BTN Classic. Oh, the music stable. Hell yeah, I will leave it here. I remember a few years ago when, like, they kind of had to go back a ways for their library for Illinois. Like, one of the ones that they would come up with was the 2014 Penn State, where we beat them 16 to 14 because Franklin <laughs> didn't trust his guys to run the ball. And it's like, yeah, Illinois football classic. Hell yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, it, it does seem like the network makes a little bit of a mistake of assuming that a close game is necessarily a good one. Uh, I mean, there weren't all that many to choose case. from um, in our case. But, I mean, but so, what are you going to do for Rutgers football classic? Are you going to do one of those Chris Ash wins? Like, like what? They, did they win, like... In a game that had 30 total points against Purdue? I don't 
I <laughs> I have not retained any of the memory files of the Chris Ash era, to tell you the truth. Um, so doing these in chronological order, we have to put Rutgers after my team's game. Um, that would be the Peach Bowl, Michigan State 31, Pitt 21. And again, all this has to come with a proviso that Kenny Pickett opted out for Purdue and their backup, Nick Patty, was hurt on their score on their first touchdown, which was at the end of the second drive they had. And so they had to turn to a third stringer who looked the part, but obviously had not played much. And they did clearly Pat Narduzzi and his staff did not trust him to throw the ball much. Also didn't help that their offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple had been hired away by Nebraska. I don't think he coached in that game, but it's also fair to say that MSU had Kenny uh, Kenny Walker, Kenneth Walker sit out as well. So there's something to that, but anyway, I think this game was maybe a little bit of evidence that, yeah, again, the quarterback is the most important position. Now that that's a controversial thing to say, right? It um, was remarkable to me how much, and not no disrespect to Pitt's defense, but Michigan State looked totally different without Kenneth Walker, and it was in all bad ways. Like suddenly, yes. I thought, like, hey, you know what? I don't. I think I've been overrating Peyton Thorne a lot. Um, I've been. I mean. He, I don't think it's, I haven't, I've, I've been kind of measured in my praise of him when I have praised him because he has been pretty uneven this season. But the thing to remember is he is actually a first year starter. Yeah. He got into a few games last year because Rocky Lombardi was repeatedly so bad that they had to pull him, but it's not like he had played a ton of football, you know, redshirt sophomore first year as a starter. Um, it just like, because they won a couple games early on because they started off eight and oh, he kind of had the imprimatur of a more experienced guy, but yeah, he was very up and down at times this year, very streaky. And even in this game afterwards, he admitted, he's like, yeah, you know, for a large part of it, my footwork was trash. And Tucker told me, Hey, get your feet right. And uh, let's go out and win this or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but um, yeah, he's still a relatively young quarterback. I am fairly optimistic that the team, that the offense will still be functional next year, but obviously yes, Kenneth, it's very obvious after this game that Kenneth Walker papered over a lot of deficiencies. The offensive line has to be a huge focus in this offseason. I mean, it's secondary and offensive line, man. Those are the two areas they got to get right. Um, but yeah, look, to come back and win this game when Pitt's defense, which I think is kind of an underrated group, I think people tend to assume, oh, they're in some higher scoring games. They're in kind of this shootout ACC kind of thing. No, as I was doing my prep and research for the game, they got a ton of guys who can get to the quarterback. They stopped the run perfectly capably. Um, again, huge step backwards on the ground from Michigan State without Kenneth Walker, but I expected that. I, you know, I was hoping maybe they would try different guys. They really just stuck with Jordan Simmons, who I don't know if you give him space, he can run in a straight line, but he doesn't make the first guy miss. And with this offensive line, that's a problem. <laughs> Uh, but it's got to be said that as they have in most of their games this year, they made the big plays when they need to. Um, the you know the defense played a much better effort than it has most of the game. I'm I'm not going to look too much into that because, again, you're dealing with a third string quarterback, and I think Pitt had kind of a bad get like they did not adjust well to Patty getting hurt. They didn't get the ball to Jordan Addison nearly enough. But this was still a, kind of one of those gutty wins because Pitt's defense was good enough to win this game for him. Um, but Peyton Thorne 
Jaden Reed and the rest of the offense made the plays necessary to come back and win it. And big announcement, I think just yesterday, um, Jaden Reed is going to return for his redshirt senior season. Jalen Naylor will go to the draft, but Reed is going to return as the obvious top dog uh, amongst the weapons. So that ba- I mean, really, the passing game should be fine, even without Naylor. Um, and I'm so glad that we won this game because I set my itinerary up such that if MSU had lost this game, it would not only. So here's here was my rough calendar. I took the day off of the game, which was Thursday the 30th. I flew down there on a flight that left at 845 in the morning from Detroit. So I had to get up a little bit earlier than I usually do to get to that flight on time. Uh, my buddy Chris and I who went to the game with me tool around Atlanta all day. Then we get to Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the game. It's a seven o'clock kickoff. So the game's not over until between 11 and midnight. I will say again, because it's not a Fox broadcast, the game wasn't too bad as far as TV timeouts went. We take the train back to our hotel because we stayed at a very cheap hotel by the Atlanta airport. It took us almost an hour to check in. So it's after one in the morning when we get to into our room and get to sleep. And our flight left the Atlanta airport at 6.10 the next morning. In other words, five hours from when we got back to the hotel. And that next day was New Year's Eve. And I had a wedding to go to. So we were up until two in the morning that night. So in the span of like a 48-hour stretch, I think I got like four hours of sleep. I was very, but I was fueled. I was still in a good mood because they ended up pulling out the game. If they had lost, New Year's might have been a disaster for me. I might have just crawled under a table at the wedding reception and fallen asleep. But instead, it was it was a very nice cap to what has otherwise been a very difficult year for a ton of reasons, obviously. But on the field, it was a huge relief, and this team for me was such a pleasant escape. You know, Ohio State and Purdue results notwithstanding. Yep. So speaking of pleasant escapes, uh, one of the fun things I had throughout bowl season was, and of course your, your team, a prime example of this is I kept bowl season did provide me with one really optimistic thing. And that is people are wrong when they say we can't win by just recruiting Illinois. Every bowl game had dudes (laughs) making dudes from Illinois. Like, Oh yeah, this dude, this dude grew up right down the street from where your parents live, you know, making, making plays like just everyone's roster is littered with playmakers from Illinois. So that tells me if we do ever, you know, at the very least get into, you know, some top 10 players, then uh, yeah, we're absolutely going to be winning. I know you are excited for another full year of broadcasters in the big 10 disclosing the fact that Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed have been playing together since high school. And what high school was that again? Naperville goddamn central <laughs> home of the home of the Red Hawks, which tells you that their name used to be very offensive. <laughs> Most likely. Yes. No, uh, it did. Speaking of offensive, a five win Rutgers team went to a bowl against a team that played in the ACC title game. How did that go? Well, I briefly thought that my team was going to get this one because, uh, you know, there were just rumors, rumors that Rutgers was like, eh, and that, well, you know, and of course, Brett Bielema openly courted the, the ball. The head of you in the APR order would have had to opt out. 
So yeah, but I heard rumors that they were going drowning to. in reality. I don't think I heard rumors that that they were going to. And then also Shad Khan and got involved. And the one thing I know about America is that, well, look, it doesn't really matter what the rules are if a billionaire wants it to happen. But then I remembered that Rutgers is backed by Woody Johnson and he's not just a billionaire. He's white. And that's how you get ahead in America. That's the only thing more powerful than a billionaire in America is a white one. Which is, again, most of them. But yeah. So anyway, anyway. Rutgers did not belong in this game. Um, by it, it if, was no, it was a lot closer than it could have been. This would have just been recorded as a forfeit by Texas A&M, the team that had to back out of it. That would have been the just result. But whatever, I, I guess on paper, I'm happier that this game happened than that it didn't happen. So if that means, I mean, again, I don't even know, because I mean, this matchup was only announced like a week before the game happened. I don't know how many of those bowl practices Rutgers was able to get in or how many they're allowed to get in. Like, are you able to use those, you know, say they get in one of those extra bowl practices every day, we'd still have eight of them left over. Like, can you use them after the bowl? (laughs) Like, uh, anyway, I, it just opens all kinds of questions. So there's not a whole lot to say about the performance on the field. Rutgers was kind of toggling through their quarterbacks. Um, they don't have an answer there. They got to figure it out. Um, but you know, there's not much to say about it really. It was not a close game. Um, Anyway, I remain bitter because th- some kind of ridiculous bullshit is kind of the only way that my team was ever going to get to a bowl like this. So I will instead take my bowl trip to Lambeau Field because, you know, the, the thing that my college team and your NFL team most likely have in common is that they will never, ever figure it out. So, Outback Bowl. New Year's Day Bowls. You can say that it's the Outback Bowl because it's Penn State. Penn State 10, Arkansas 24. As we mentioned earlier, Penn State fans who made the trip had to hear the SEC chants once Arkansas took over. That's a weird flex, but okay. Penn State had an absolute boatload of opt-outs on the defensive side of the ball. So that they held a decent rushing attack like Arkansas to 24 is actually pretty impressive. Uh, considering also that Penn State's defensive coordinator, Brent Pry, I believe has left already to begin assembling his staff uh, for his new job at Virginia Tech, which is a big step up in the world for him. Um, and it just late in the game, Penn State could not get Arkansas off the field and could not stop their running game, which is to be expected because, again, they had a lot of guys opt out. Um, Derek Tangelo opted out. Arnold Abichetti opted out. Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith. Um, I don't recall if brisker played or not i think brisker opted out too um by the way a lot of guys opted out on the defensive side of the ball the offense which has struggled all year even with Jahan dotson continued to struggle without him that being said his position parker washington and keandre lambert smith actually looks pretty promising there and they did after the game learn that Sean Clifford has opted to return as well for his free year of eligibility. So they've still got him. I remember my reaction to that. And I wonder if yours is the same, which is, you know, after all this time, I still don't know if Sean Clifford's a difference making quarterback that they need him to be. He's good when he's healthy. And I don't think he was healthy for most of this year, but he ain't Trace McSorley. Yeah. 
I mean, the reason they ain't Trace McSorley is because he doesn't really complete accurate passes down the field. And his running feels like a lot less of a threat. I know he's an okay runner, um, but McSorley was like a guy you had to account for every play because he was he seemed more willing to run it. Yeah, I think Clifford gets a lot more of his yards out of, shall we say, like lax coverage. Penn State's receivers yeah. absolutely demand more of your attention. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing, of course, going into the offseason is, in addition to Christian View, who got a little bit of playing, or Veo, I think it is, who got some playing time this year, they have another extremely well-touted quarterback prospect coming in, Drew Aller. So they're going to have to, at some point, account for the future of that position, even with Clifford coming back. Anyway, um, this game in the first half was absolutely berserk. This final score is concealing an absolute torrent of ridiculous shit. Um, for example, in on, I think consecutive possessions, Penn State attempted the worst fake field goal I've ever seen, where it was just Jordan Snout, Jordan Stout 